This is a HeadGum Podcast. In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club. Here we are. Hey, Jack. It's hey, me, your Tanner. friend Tanner. Good to see you. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. Yeah. Heard you took a little nap. Took a little nap. Yep. Yep. I texted you about 45 minutes ago. I said, ready to record. And you said, let me uh, let me see that the wife is taken care of. Wink. I didn't say wink. And I said, great. See you in a little bit. Yep. And then promptly fell asleep on, mm-hmm. the, on my couch. I took care of my wife and my baby. Yep. You took care of yourself. Wink. <laughs> no, there's just no wink there. Or is there? <laughs> Do we have anything to catch up on before we get into the text? Well, we just gossiped about work for 10 minutes we just, before we, we uh, before gossip. we hit record. Don't tell Baby Nation that we sit and like <laughs> chit-chat and catch up, because I want it to be like natural, like, oh, we haven't spoken in a week. Oh, I see. Even though we literally speak almost every day yeah. via work. Yep. Anyway, you moved. You're in a new home, I can tell. I'm not. I'm moving tomorrow. It looks beautiful. It weirdly looks a lot like your old home. Yeah, I'm moving tomorrow morning. That's weird, because you took off last Friday and last Monday to move. Pack boxes. And now you're still in your little podcasting alcove. Okay. So what does that mean? I'm allowed to take vacation days, Tanner, and I took them to pack boxes. Okay. <laughs> I'm unimpeachable here. There's not. It's not like I like shirked to work and pretended I was moving. I guess I'll ask your manager if you took the days off. Uh, will you? Yeah. That's what you're going to do. I think so. I want you, I'm just trying to keep you on the level, man. You think there's diligence. a form in our HR software that's like concerns about employee malfeasance? I can actually just log in. It's not <laughs> too late to call me off this and just admit what you've done. It's none of your business. You still have time to save face here, Jack. I took the days off. Okay, I'm logging in. Let's work talk about day. this book. I took the time off, and also, why would you care? I just want to keep you on the level, man. I why? feel like. For me or for the for the company? For the company. I'm a company <laughs> man. <laughs> Clearly. Well, I'm going to assume you didn't take the time off officially. Okay. I'm going to let what? your manager know. Just in case. Well, thank you. And we're going to get that corrected. Okay. Can we talk about and the we'll novel now? Can we introduce the podcast? Pay for those two days. Okay. Thank you. Jack, yeah. I don't really want to talk about the book this week. Let's skip it. Let's just catch up. Okay. Um, hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's <sighs> Club Club. Club. I don't want to. You must. A podcast hosted by me, Jack Alexander Shepard. And I'm Tanner Greenring. And each week, the both of us discuss a different novel in the great sitter's cycle by The Hand That Shakes, the princess of the Prince of Towns, St. Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn, Soul Skinner, Mother of Clocks, and Bane to Bats. She is the first of her name and the last of her kind, and... The Last Hope. For Humankind, this week, we're going to be talking about Claudia and the Terrible Truth. (sighs) Baby Nation. We've got news for you about what the Terrible Truth is. You know what? Anne. 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 Ellen. Yeah. What, what what do we do to you? Yeah. Like, what? how did we wrong you? Week in, week out, we come to the show, we celebrate your text, we celebrate your work. We celebrate you! We bring joy, we bring levity to this creative endeavor that you gave us. We try to infuse a little humor into it, some fun. 
some camaraderie, and this is what you do to us, Anne. This is what you do to us, Ellen. Smiles for miles, more like frowns for miles. Am I right? Well, Ellen, it, just, it doesn't rhyme though. Frowns for frowns towns for downs. We've already discussed this before. Oh, frowns for downs. Because this is not the first time that Ellen has just thrown us a real curveball. This is not the first time that Ellen has forced us to record what we call in the business a very special episode. A very special episode. <sighs> so I've been Tanner Greenring. And I've been Jack Shepard. And I don't want to talk about they it. They have a parade. It's not they do have a parade. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Miles is like, what about the parade? There's a distant B plot. <laughs> In this book, which is a St. Patrick's Day parade. When they have a parade, it's the DSE ghostwriter equivalent of phoning it the fuck in. <laughs> Ella Miles was like, she wrote like a 200-page novel about an abusive father. Yeah. And then handed it in, and the scholastic lawyers were like, um, is there any fucking way that you could put something in here that's about babysitting that yeah. doesn't fucking suck? And, and she's not like babysitting abused children. Uh, there's a parade. They have a parade. Where does it happen in the timeline? And they're like, I don't know, spring? And she's like, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day, Day parade in the town. <laughs> like, how does anyone in Stony Brook ever get anything done? It's just like it's just like a parade for every fucking holiday. I was thinking about this because all the kids dress up like fucking idiots. They're yeah. like all in like hand drawn sandwich board signs. Yeah. So there's like a board on your back and a board on your front, and they're strapped around your shoulders. Claudia's supposed to do the drawings for the parade, but she's busy dealing with a super fucking bummer A plot. Right. And so Christy and Mal have to draw the things, and it's very bad. All the kids do a bad job. Very bad. And no one can tell what anyone is dressed as. And I just like, imagine being a parent in Stony Brook, and it's like... Well, it's Saturday. Like, what are we going to do with our day? And it's like, well, we should really go, like, show our civic pride by yeah. going to this, like, St. Patrick's Day parade Yeah, on Main Street. And, like, you're just sitting there, and there's, like, a bunch of idiot children walking by in dumb costumes. Yeah. And it's just like, why do, why do I live here? I always think of Mr. Prezioso in these moments. Mr. Prezioso's like, oh, man, another fucking hard week at work, but good news, Mrs. P. The Stony Brook boys basketball team have got a <laughs> big game against Stony Brook Academy today. It's my Saturday. Can't wait. And Mrs. P is like, uh, Jenny's dressed as the Blarney Stone. <laughs> I don't know. It looks dumb. She's <laughs> just got- in, like, in a gray turd costume. <laughs> And, like, you moved out here, you moved to Stony Brook because, like, it seemed like a good place to raise kids, and you, like, didn't want to raise your kids in New York City where you actually lived, and, like, you're getting texts from your friends being like, let's go to brunch, we're going to have some morning mimosas, and you're like, I can't, I have to go to a parade. There's another fucking parade, Christy fucking Thomas, scourge of Stony Brook. (laughs) Um, Tanner, what about if we describe this novel for the Baby Nation? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I was thinking maybe I would take a run at it, and then I'll put 60 seconds on a big bad clock if I can find one, and uh, have you kind of go through the, put, put them I'm through gonna their plus paces. That. I'm going to plus that idea, Okay, Jack. Okay. I'm going to take your bad idea, I'm going to make it good and better. Okay. I think you should do it. Yeah. And then when you're done doing your thing, mm-hmm. I'll come in, I'll sweep up the leftovers, mm-hmm. I'll form it into like a little ball, Okay. and I'll slam dunk it. Okay. In 60 seconds. So you just, you just, by plussing, what you mean is you described 
my exact idea in exactly the same set of steps, but made it look like you're better in it. Yeah, I said I was going to plus it. Oh, I see. Okay, that's what that is. Plussing it. Okay, cool. All right, great. Well, I'll do a little like baby dribbling out on the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's time for the Washington Generals. Yeah, and then it's time for the slam dunk contest. You're out there just like fumbling and like traveling. Like the the Globetrotters are like pulling down your pants and you're like, (laughs) okay. Like the ball's going everywhere. Good. And then I, the Harlem Globetrotters, will come in and. Snatch the ball from you, twirl it on my finger, and do a slam dunk. Great. I'm looking forward to it. In 60 seconds. <laughs> wow. This sounds great. I'm glad you're on board. All right. How about I get started? You ready? Yes. All right. I'm going to begin. Mr. Nichols is just trying to find a job and raise his two boys the way his father raised him. Disciplined and obedient. Which is not easy to do in a town full of monsters. From witches to demons to dinosaurs to vengeful haunted dolls. And Claudia Kishi is just trying to make her way as a childcare professional, looking after the Nichols boys and staying well clear of the unholy terrors that stalk the streets of Stony Brook at night. But what Claudia and Mr. Nichols are about to find out is that the worst monsters, the ones with the darkest souls, the most poisonous malevolence, and the deepest power over those unlucky enough to cross their paths are not the demons, or the witches, or even the haunted dolls. They are the monsters who lurked inside us all along. Claudia and the Terrible Truth. (sighs) Tanner, I finished speaking. Oh, I loved it. Great, thank you. Tanner, you have promised us Harlem Globetrotters-like performance. Yeah. 60 seconds. Let me open the book here. That will scintillate and wow you, Baby Nation, on this difficult, at times difficult novel. Yeah. A very special episode this week. Tanner's going to give you the skinny the down and dirty. We're going to get through it. We're going to talk about some of the tough stuff. We're going to talk about a little bit of the fun stuff. Let's hear what you have to say, Tanner. I'll go ahead and go. I'll do my 60-second recap. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Start now. All right. It's the beginning of spring in Stony Brook, and Babysitter's Club and their and their cities have caught St. Patrick's fever. Christy has decided that she wants to throw a St. Patrick's Day parade, and she v- invites all the, the babies of the town to participate. Uh, they all decide to do a fun craft project where they wear costumes to make themselves up to look like iconography from the popular holiday. Um, there are some hiccups along the way, but eventually they get all their stuff together, and they do. They march in the parade. Everyone loves it. There's a beautiful Irish singer who's in town for the event. I don't remember her name. I'm not going to get hung up on it. But she greets the girl. She compliments all the kids' costumes. And the parade goes off without a hitch. Um... And time. I think that's just about it. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. There's a new family in town, the Nichols. Nate and um, Nate and Joey, mm-hmm. Maggie O'Meara, 
Tanner. Maggie O'Meara. That's yeah. the name of the chanteuse in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah. Um, very, very good job. Well described. I feel like you covered all the bases except the entirety of the A plot and most of this novel, which is that Mr. Nichols is a bad dad hmm. to Nate and Joey. I talked about Nate and Joey a little bit at the end there. I almost forgot them, but yeah, there are new kids in town. Claudia becomes their exclusive babysitter. Uh, Mr. Nichols is out of work. He, he moved to Stony Brook to find a job. Mrs. Nichols works at the public library with Mrs. Kishi. Something I want to talk about more. Nate and Joey seem like good kids, very polite, very um, well-mannered, studious rule followers. Baby Nation, it is so fucking intense what happens in this book. It is the most... The parade. Is- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's wild. It's just like they got to get all this together. They got to like organize all these kids. They have to like make the costumes. Uh-huh. And Claudia's not there. One of the Pike girls can't figure out what Ireland means and she makes an eye costume. And Claudia's not around because she's dealing with something. And everyone needs to like figure out what they're doing. And one of them dresses like the Blarney Stone. It's all a mess. Mr. Nichols seems like uh, something is wrong with him. He's putting on a smile for Claudia that feels fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's having a hard time finding a job. But the parade is just like, it's around the corner. And is the weather going to be good? It's it's unclear. It might be bad that day. Yeah. Tanner- Maureen O'Malley calls it soft weather. Oh, this is soft weather, children. I'm glad you took notes. Can you do Irish? It's soft weather, children. Uh, we call this soft weather, children. Back into old country. It- Tisn't tisn't raining or blowing. We call it soft weather. Soft weather. Tanner. Yeah. We don't have to spend the entire episode talking about it, (laughs) but we owe it to our listeners to say that this novel is about a a very, very, very bad man named Mr. Nichols. (sighs) Baby Nation, this novel is about a very bad man. The A plot is about a bad man called Mr. Nichols. Um. His wife and children are afraid of him. It becomes clear to Claudia that that's the case. Claudia and her fucking badass mom, Ryoko, save the day. Yeah. Basically by calling Child Protective Services. And And Erica Blumberg. And Erica Blumberg. She was there. A schoolmate of Claudia's. Yep. Ellen Miles, man. Fucking smiles for miles. Frowns for downs. Frowns for downs. Ellen Miles. Is... On some next level shit, because the heart pounding scene at the end of this novel, when Erica Blumberg, Ryoko Kishi, and Claudia Kishi fucking drive to this house and rescue the two children and mother, Mrs. Nichols, yeah. and drive them downstate to Stanford to Stanford to Mr. Kishi's office to escape bad, bad Mr. Nichols. Yeah. Um, is harrowing and unlike anything I've ever experienced in these novels before. And then the fucking craziest thing of all, and this is so fucking intense, Mr. Nichols, like at the end of the book. Oh my God. This like, it honestly like made me almost have a panic attack. I, the note I captured is like, is this a dream sequence? It's fucking like, crazy. What is this? What is this that's happening here? Baby Nation, for context, Mr. Nichols is a bad man who does hits on his two boys nate and joey and maybe his wife and and worse and worse he seems to be emotionally abusive and he's super controlling he's emotionally manipulative and abusive he calls them like dumb idiots all the time they're not allowed to go to the saint patrick's day parade as a punishment 
because they touched his briefcase. Like literally, right. they just touched it. They moved it out of the way of their train set. It's it's, it's deeply troubling and disturbing. Right. Um, but at the end of this novel, the following thing happens. I didn't sleep too soundly myself that night. I tossed and turned, thinking I'd never fall asleep. And then, just when I felt myself drifting off, the phone rang. I checked the clock as I answered. It was midnight. Who could be calling? Hello? I said sleepily. There was a pause. Then I heard a man's voice yelling so loudly that I had to hold the phone away from my ear. Give me back my wife! He shouted. Then he started to cry. It was Mr. Nichols. Ellen Miles frowns for downs. We were done. Like, we were done with the plot. Claudia and Mrs. Kishi and Erica Blumberg had all saved Nate and Joey and Mrs. Nichols. They had gone up to their aunt's house upstate. This is, like, done. They're like, we did it. We saved them. And then, like, Mr. Nichols comes out of nowhere with this nightmare midnight call screaming about his wife to a 13-year-old girl. It's fucking bananas. And then, like, she hung up on him and, like, never talked about it again. And, like, that was it. That was the last time we will ever hear of Mr. Nichols. So here's what I think happened here, Tanner. You know how Ellen Miles writes her novels, Uh, right? She writes them well because it was a very captivating book. It's very, very well written. She's like rising to the top of my faves. Like she's not as funny as Pete, but she can spin a fucking yarn. She's not built for funny. Yeah. The reason she's earned the moniker Frowns for Downs is because like she's the one Anne puts in when she has a very special episode. Yeah. Very special book on the docket. Yeah. And she knows what she's doing. But as you know... For that novel to gestate, she gets on a boat. She gets on a ship. Right. And she takes a fucking voyage. Right. For sometimes for years at a time. She's just like, time to set sail. She like right. walks out of the house in her flowing gown, her hair flying in the wind. Her husband and family are just like, Ella, no. Ella, no. And she just wanders off, walks into the sea. A ship rises, literally rises. <laughs> Out of the ocean as she's walking, and she just walks into it, and it sets sail. Right. And then her family is like, well, I guess she's writing another BSC book. And she comes back, and no one knows where she's gone, but she comes back serene and changed. It's not even clear whether or not she's, like, remained on this plane. No, it's unlikely. Yeah. But I think we know that, and we know that from previous books. It's obvious. I think Anne has said that in the Happy Reading set. Yeah, I'm not sure where... We got it from because we've read so many of these, but like, we must have got it from somewhere. And Anne tech typically reserves that stuff for for happy reading. So yeah, happy reading. She's like, hey, readers, thanks Here's for reading this one. Text about like just a, pro- the- a process note on how Ellen does right. her work, and then just yeah. basically says what I just said. Um, I think she brought back with her a dark passenger this time. I think she discovered something that she didn't expect. Like, she went out there and she came back with, like, a St. Patrick's Day Parade book, but she brought back something dark, something too dark for the BSC. And that's what Mr. Nichols is. Like, he doesn't fit in this fucking world. No. They had to expiate him. This book is about expiating him. We are truly in the darkest timeline now. We certainly are. We've got child abusers who maniacally call 13-year-old girls at midnight demanding that their wives be returned. Yeah. He didn't even want his boys back. 
Here's more evidence, Tanner, that we're in the darkest timeline as if we fucking needed it. New baby bees, we're not going to tell you why you're bees, and we're also not going to tell you about the darkest timeline. If you don't know by now, do some Listen to the research. fucking show. Jesus Christ. And it's also obvious if you've read any of these books that right. the a dark timeline begins at book 100. Right. Christie's worst idea, which parallels yeah. Christie's great idea, book number one, but in an alternate universe that's dark and everything's upside down. Right. So let me read a passage to you, Tanner. Yeah. That kind of backs that up. My eyes straight. So this is like at the time when uh, Claudia and Ryoko Kishi star turn in this book. I love that you've memorized her full name. Yeah. Ryoko Kishi. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, star turn in this book. She really fucking, she takes one for the team and she is like such a badass. She's like, it's this dude is scary as hell, but she like goes to his fucking house and gets the kids out. And she's What's like. What's Mr. Kishi's full name? Do you know? Um, nope. Can you name most of the BSC's parents? Um, I'm just impressed by your well of knowledge. Christy. Christy, um, Elizabeth, Watson, and I think John. That's the Harry Nilsson. Yeah. Sorry, Baby Nation, if you don't know what that reference is to. Uh, Stacy is Edward and Maureen. Yep. Marianne is Richard and... Um, Sharon. Amara. Sharon. I'm talking about her dead mom. Tanner, have some fucking respect. You know her dead mom's name? I think so. It's Amara? I think so. I can look it up. No, don't look it up. This is a quiz. Dawn. Okay. Dawn, Sharon, and uh, yeah, it should be easy. Jack. Yeah. And I don't. I can't remember her stepmom's name, but she's like Carol. Carol. Yeah, Carol. Claudia. No name given for father. Right. Mallory, John, and D. Jesse. Yep. Is it also John, weirdly? Yeah, yeah, it's John. Can we go back and correct the episode where we were like, there are no Johns in Stony Brook? <laughs> uh, John and... Is it Phil? Is is Squirt named after his dad? Is it Philip? Ugh, I think it's John. Okay. But this is a John quiz. Too. I can't look it up. Um, if we forgot anyone, they can't be important. Abby. Abby. Um, Jonathan. Stevenson. And I can't remember her mom's name. I can't remember. Is it also with an A? Rachel. Rachel. Nice. Yeah. Good. That was, hopefully that was fun, Baby Nation. Hopefully that was fun for you, Baby Nation. I actually really enjoyed it. Tanner, Tweet at I... Jack if you got anything wrong. Oh, my God. At ex-president on Twitter. Yeah, good. Fun. Tanner, can I read you this passage that proves that we're in the darkest timeline? This is when Claudia is waiting to see whether Ryoko has confronted the Nichols family. My eyes strayed toward the phone on the kitchen wall. Should I call and find out for myself instead of waiting? Why not? I picked up the phone, dialed, and listened to one ring before I slammed the receiver back into its cradle. What if Mrs. Nichols answered the phone? What would I say? Would she recognize my voice? I played around with a few fake accents, wondering if I could fool her if I sounded French or British. Then I realized I was just being silly. Uh, so she calls up and lets it ring once and hangs up. And then later that day, I glanced at the clock. It was only four. I had at least two hours to go if I waited until mom came home. I grabbed the phone and dialed again. This time I let it ring twice before I hung up. What a chicken, I told myself. I decided just to wait until my mother came home. What's the significance of the passage you just read? Tanner, Claudia this week yeah, is making... The Phantom Phone Calls. Uh, 
The darkest timeline. The darkest timeline. Claudia becomes the phantom phone call. Now she's the phantom phone caller. Some poor, like, circulation desk worker at <laughs> Stony Brook Library. Yeah, it's just like, here's heavy getting, breathing. Like, she picks up the phone and it's like, <gasps> click. She calls Ryoko over. She calls <laughs> Nichols over. It happened again. It happened again. The phantom phone caller. Is Claudia Kishi? This is like in Scream Two. Yeah, an, a known movie that people definitely remember. I don't even remember it, but I think that <laughs> I think the thing of Scream Two is that like one of the the people who is a victim is this time is the Scream man. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Nation, call fuck a tweet at me if I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Lillard, <laughs> he's the bad guy again. Was he in the first one? Uh, I don't know, but who's his friend? The nerdy guy who's no, like... No, he's like always in movies with Matthew Lillard. I don't know. There's a guy who's always in movies with Matthew Lillard? Yeah, and I only know this from watching the movie Summer Catch. <laughs> <laughs> All around me are familiar faces. Jack Googles. Jack Googles. Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know what? He's in fucking Scooby-Doo with Matthew Lillard. Uh, yeah, I know. They're always in movies together. But I only know that from watching Summer Cats, which is the only Freddie Prince Jr. Matthew Lillard movie that I've ever Why? seen. Why? Were you watching Summer Cats? It's good. I like it. <laughs> um, Darkest Timeline. Yeah, there's some adult drama series for like mom readers about mm-hmm. a small town librarian named ryoko kishi yeah and like one of the books is about her receiving like pervert phantom phone calls <laughs> uh, and it turns out that it's her own nervous daughter the entire time it was claudia the whole fucking time yeah tanner what about if we take a quick break uh wait what did you just leave <laughs> Jack, mm-hmm. we are back from a long break. Okay, five minutes, but... And we're not the only ones. Is that a segue, Tanner? What did you see, anyway? Asked Margo, curiously. A frog. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Said Claire, pointing. Mm-hmm. That plastic one we lost last fall. Yep. I guess it isn't slimy, but a real frog would be. I'm going to give this point to, I guess it would be Nikki. Uh, Baby Nation for Context, there's a game called Wandering Frog People where you hide a frog and whoever discovers it loses a point and you gain a point. In this case, I believe that Nikki Pike is the one who probably lost the plastic frog in question. Thus, the point is awarded to Nikki Pike and the big L goes to Claire Pike for finding it after the long winter. Baby Nation, Wandering Frog People is a game that everyone in the world is playing. Everyone is playing it at all times. You are playing it right now. There are some 7 billion, if not more, winners currently tied for first place. Okay. And there are some dozens of losers. It's a losing game. Everyone is playing whether they like it or not. Right. Uh, Anne and Martin, for new baby bees, we're not going to tell you why you're bees, but we will tell you that Anne and Martin has laid down throughout these texts, in addition to all the other fucking wild 
buckwild shit she's doing in these books. She has created a phenomenon. The most popular game. The most widely played game. In the history of the universe. Right. Played by, there is over 7 billion players. Right. It's just bananas. And those 7 billion players, most of them are winners, but we are working hard to tip the balance. The way that you lose Baby Nation, in case you don't know, and there are many listeners I know who are amongst the losers. Tanner, are you a loser right now? I don't think I am a loser. Interesting. When your son was born, Mm. I shipped the wandering frog person to you. You're not wrong. In a package for your boy, full of clothes and toys for your boy. So I am... So you're the loser. Ashamed to say that I'm amongst the losers. And you have dropped the ball, because now you've just been sitting on this wandering frog for... How old's your son? Eight months. For, what, six months? I think I sent that package when your boy was just a couple months old. It was very sweet. But Baby Nation, let's not dwell on my ignominy. Let's dwell on the fact that... We finally have You know what's new- even more? Okay, fine. Let's have you talk. You know what hurt, must hurt you even more? About the thing that I said we wouldn't dwell is on. Is that you and I have seen one another, what, 10 times since then? You've come to New York. You've been to my house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Since that time. And yet, you still control the wandering frog. What part of let's not dwell on it, don't you understand? I want to move on, is what I'm saying. I guess most of it, because the whole point of wandering frog person is it's a game of shame you know we us winners jack us in the big w column Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is we're trying to drive up the numbers in the l column right now it's about seven billion right to what probably 40 40 or so we're just doing our best to tip the balance from w to l we still haven't explained to the baby nation how it works if you are presented with a wandering frog unbeknownst to you, you become a loser in the game. And Anne has laid down a number of rules that we have been trying to collate. I wonder if there's a new rule here. The expanded version of the passage that you read, Tanner, begins as follows. Claire looked around. I spy with my little eye something green and slimy. Boogers, cried Nikki, her eight-year-old brother. Ew, said Margot. Nikki, yelled Claire, stamping her foot. You're not even playing, and anyway, I don't see any boogers. I do, said Nikki with a wicked grin. They're hanging out of your nose. Laughing, he ran off before Claire could catch him. What did you see anyway? asked Margot curiously. A frog, said Claire, pointing. A frog. So she's announcing it in this interesting way. Not to interrupt you, Mm -hmm. but I guess the reason I didn't start that passage sooner mm-hmm. like you did was because the bit of the passage you just read was my <gasps> uh, you have to whisper it because your, your boy's asleep my boy's sleeping yeah so that's why i didn't go Okay, great. Awesome. Back any further. So my burn of the week is a rules clarification for the Wandering Frog People game. Great. Okay, great. Nikki, cried Claire, stamping her foot. You're not even playing. And anyway, I don't see any boogers. I do, said Nikki, with the wicked grin. They're hanging out of your nose. Laughing, he ran off before Claire could catch him. That's burn your of the burn week. of the week. 
Okay. On Claire's boogery nose. Okay. But it's also apparently a rule clarification of wandering frog people. I don't know, but it seems like she says, I spy with my little eye something green and slimy. She's announcing it. So if, is the rule here that if you are presented with a wandering frog, but you can make a case that it is, in fact, a booger? No, no. I don't want to focus on the boogers. I knew you would focus on the boogers. I don't think that's, yeah. that's not the point. The point okay. is about the I spy. Okay. She's making an announcement. I think you have to make an announcement when you uncover a frog. If you suspect that you are about to be a victim of wandering frog people. Yes. You can announce... And this is there's a previous rule in place called the flamingo rule. Right. It's similar to flamingo the flamingo rule. The flamingo rule is if you suspect you're about to be frogged, you can get up on one foot, right, do a flamingo dance. Everyone knows the rule. Right. Yeah. And declare that the frogging has not worked. The frogging has not worked. Right. You've been rebuffed. Right. I think if you say I spy with my little eye. Right. Something green and slimy. But, Without touching it. Right. But if someone can counteract, there's there's a counter. She then says, Nikki, you're not even playing. I think that's the only way to get out of the game. No, you can't. No one, everyone is playing. Yeah, everyone is playing. That's the Here's a way to get out of the game, though. How? To continue the passage. Vanessa wandered over and picked up the frog. I wonder if this frog is Irish. Can you imagine him dancing a jig? So, hmm. I think if the frog is Irish, yeah. you're clear. Yes. If you can somehow prove the frog is Irish... Yeah, that seems by, like a clear rule. By making him dance a jig, mm-hmm. you have counteracted the frogging. Yeah. Baby Nation will put this all up on the official Wandering Frog page, babysittersclubclub.com slash wanderingfrog people, in case you With you're the updated about- leaderboard that Jack is going to rigorously update this weekend. Uh-huh. Yep. While I move... Um, Tanner, something else jumped out at me with this passage. Claire says, I spy with my little eye. Here's another thing that happens in this novel, Tanner. Claire. Pike. Pike. For the St. Patrick's Day parade, which is the main thing we're going to be talking about this week. Is she the idiot that dresses up like an eyeball? Dresses up like a giant... I. Because she doesn't understand what Irish means. Clara, meanwhile, was working hard on her own piece of cardboard. Tongue between her teeth, she labored carefully, ignoring everyone else as she concentrated. On her way to help Marilyn and Carolyn cut out their twin shamrocks, Stacy glanced at Claire's drawing. Very nice, Claire, she commented. But, um, what is it? An I, Claire pronounced proudly. An I? Claire nodded. See, here's the middle part, and here's the eyelashes, and here's the eyebrow. I see, I see, said Stacy. But why are you drawing an eye? Because we're supposed to, said Claire. Mal said we're making Irish things. Claire Tanner is dressed as a giant eye in this novel about a terrible truth. A terrible truth that everyone sees but refuses to acknowledge. I think it's not insignificant that Ellen Miles came back from her voyage yeah. and put this giant eye. And also, we saw this previous passage where Claire talks about spying with her little eye. I think that it is a reference. Well, I think it's a lot of things. Is There's the eye of truth, right? Atop its old pyramid on the back of every $1 bill. That's right. Baby Nation, turn over your $1 bills. You're going to be surprised to find a giant eye. 
Yeah. The Eye of Sauron. I think it's maybe a reference to the Grey Eye. Okay. Um, I love I love that reference. Yeah. Of course, a classic from Greek mythology. Greek mythology. Yeah. Yeah. The Grey Eye. The Grey Eye. I, yeah. I loved reading about it in probably Ovid. It's a good question. It's in Hesiod, definitely. Ovid. Yeah, definitely in Hesiod. I feel like Hesiod is the first to mention probably the Grey the, Eye. Is it in Ovid too? Well, I mean, or, Ovid obviously is a Roman author at night, but I imagine... So, but, like, the Greek, the Romans took a lot from the Greeks, yeah. so it's like... The Grey are most known from the story of Perseus. Right. But I and think, as far as I know, they first appear in Hesiod. Excuse me? Theseus and the Minotaur? That's a thing. Yeah. But, you said, but we're talking about Perseus. Perseus, yeah. Right, and his... Um, rescue of Andromeda... Um, right, defeat of the Gorgon, uh, tricking Loved of the it. Gray Eye, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the Eye of Sauron. We can talk about it, but I want to talk about this first, Tanner. Yeah. Um, the Gray Eye, as you so know, Sauron. Oh, you go ahead. Okay, why don't I go ahead? Should I go? Or? No, I was thinking that so I would Sauron. No, I was thinking that I would go. Oh, okay, the Gray Eye are witches, Tanner. Of course. They know Enyo and in, and, trouble. and in some texts, Pemfredo, uh, they are witches. They are three uh, ancient women who share toil over a cauldron, share between them, toil, toil, one tooth, boil and bubble, and one eye. Oh, sure. We've all seen Hercules. And they pass it around. Yeah, we've all seen Hercules, Jack. Um, they share a lot of similarities with the Norns, the three Norns known as the Shapers of Destiny in Norse mythology. Yes. But I thought this was... An We've e all seen Hercules. I yeah. haven't seen Hercules. <laughs> I feel like of all the people in the world who would really appreciate the Disney film Hercules, <laughs> you were the person who would most appreciate the Disney film Hercules. Does it have the gray eye in it? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. There's like the three fates, these three witches, like pass around this eye amongst themselves. Well, it's not the fates because the fates are Clotho and. Um... <sighs> Check, it's Disney. It's not fucking Ovid. Well, the fates are different. The fates are a whole different category and they don't pass the eye around. They do in the Disney hit film. Well, then the Disney case. is wrong. And I'm glad I didn't watch it. Don't you think that's fucking interesting that Ellen found a way to put these witches in this novel? And here's a second way that she put the witches in this novel. Are you fucking ready for this? One of the floats, Tanner, in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Let me tell you this. Look, said Nikki. It's the Polly's Fine Candy Float. I wish we were marching behind them. Polly's Fine Candy, Tanner. Uh-huh. Come on, you should know Polly's Fine Candy. It's from the Babysitter's Club series of novels. Maybe you've fucking heard of it. It's the candy store that, like... That we were first introduced to in another novel about truth. The truth about Stacy, Babysitter's Club number three. Stacy is babysitting a girl who wants to visit the candy store. Mm -hmm. And Stacy decides to eat a bunch of candy. That's Stacy's mistake, and this one she resists it. But the point is that Polly's Fine Candy is a candy store in Stony Brook. First reference in The Truth About Stacy, and with one exception, which I think is the novel where Mallory gets mono, never referenced again until now, which is significant. It is 
run, Tanner, by a bunch of creepy fucking sisters. And the following thing is said about them in the novel The Truth About Stacy. Anytime kids go in the store, they fasten their eyeballs on them and don't take them off until the kids They're- leave. More like their eyeball. More like their one eyeball. <laughs> it's all in the text, baby nation. It's all in the fucking text. You all act like weird conspiracy theorists. We're the fucking like, oh, weird we're, we're making all this up. Nope, it's all in the fucking text, idiots. I'm sorry I called you idiots. I was just yeah. fired up. Yeah, it's all in the text. The witches are back. The witches are back. Jack. Yeah. Oh, Tanner, we are technically inside Burn of the Week. Oh, yes, correct. We are technically inside Burn of the Week. Can I say my burn? Yeah, please. By Wednesday, so uh, let's call it a C or even a D plot. Peaches and Russ Benedict are taking a well-earned vacation from their infant daughter, Lynn. And Claudia is looking after her. The C plot is so quickly abandoned in this fucking book. Like, the first third of this book is the fact that Lynn Lynn Benedict is staying with... Claudia, the Kishis. How the fuck are Claudia and Ryoko able to like solve a fucking mystery about like a shitty dad and get a restraining order while also taking care of an infant child? They completely abandoned this plot. (laughs) Yeah. The first third of this book is like Claudia's taking care of Lynn. Yeah. While Russ and Peaches are on vacation. But here's my burn of the week this week, Tanner. By Wednesday, when my friends arrived for the BSC meeting, I'd made a lot of progress teaching Lynn to say my name. Show them how you say my name, I told Lynn when everybody was there. Say, Claudia. K, k, gug, Lynn sputtered. See, I said proudly. She said gug, Christy pointed out. I feel like it's a burn from Christy on Claudia, and it's also a burn by Lynn, who didn't even fucking bother to learn Claudia's name. She's like, I don't know, Gug? (laughs) There's a lot of good burns in this book, man. Yeah. Here's another one. Uh Uh-oh, said Jessie under her breath. Does anybody know how to draw a leprechaun? I do, said Mal, who draws very well. But I'm going to be busy setting up paints. Uh, You guys can handle it. Sure, said Christy cheerfully. It's just a little person with a top hat and pointed shoes. She was drawing on Margot's sheet of cardboard as she spoke. See, she held it up. That looks like a pterodactyl, said Byron. A sick pterodactyl, <laughs> added Jordan. <laughs> well, this tanner brings me to my next section. We have seen witches this week, mm-hmm. and we have also seen, I guess we're coming close to the fire at Marianne's house, which is going to end this whole fucking thing in fire. Right. And Ellen Miles and Anne and the Scholastic Lawyers are like, look, we've introduced all these fucking factions. It's time. It's time right. to bring them back in a big way. We have not heard Tanner from the dinosaurs in a long time. <laughs> Your burn... About the sick pterodactyl. She's trying to draw a leprechaun, and it looks like a sick pterodactyl. Is but one mention of dinosaurs in that same passage. The following then happens. While Vanessa was chatting, Marianne was drawing and erasing, drawing and erasing. 
I thought I knew how to draw a harp, she finally said to Christy, but I'm beginning to wonder, is this how it goes? She held up the cardboard. Christy took one look and cracked up. Another pterodactyl, she said. I'm glad I'm not the only one around here who can't draw. Tanner, why is it that these girls can only draw dinosaurs? <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's all they know. Think about how hard it is to draw a pterodactyl. And like, whatever, you're trying to draw a leprechaun, it looks like a pterodactyl. That's a, whatever. Yeah, I feel like I'm really good at drawing pterodactyls, so I can't like... Okay, well, I'm really just gifted to, artist, so it's like it's really put yourself in to... the shoes of somebody who d- is not great at drawing. Yeah, so like you, like me, I can draw one thing: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I can draw one thing: it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Yeah, and it looks great. It looks good. It looks You're really good at drawing Teenage Mutant good. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but riddle me fucking this, Tanner. What are the odds? You put two women down at separate tables. You ask one of them to draw a leprechaun. You ask the other one to draw a harp, and they both independently, without looking at each other's work, draw pterodactyls. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. I feel like the dinosaur faction is really gaining this week. It's like infiltrating the minds of these women. Yeah, and that's how they do it. That's how the dinosaurs do it. You know, they, for a long time, they did this aggressive, like, physical sort of tactic where it's like we're dinosaurs, we're big, we're in your face, but now they're doing this they're doing this mind game. Yeah. They're doing this like influencer kind of game. Psychological warfare. Psychological warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now we're all drawn pterodactyls and all of a sudden like the St. Patrick's Day parade, everyone's dressed like a pterodactyl for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen Miles was too busy to describe really what happened in the St. Patrick's Day parade. But given like the pieces that we know, it sounds like everyone in Stony Brook came out just dressed as dinosaurs. Yeah. And all of a sudden, dinosaurs are winning hearts and minds. <laughs> Silently march through the towns. I'm this dad missing out on brunch, and it's like, yeah. Why is everyone dressed like a pterodactyl? People are like walking outside their house, like mowing their lawn or whatever, and they just like their lawnmower like they stop it and it goes idle they like put their breakfast cereal down on the porch and everyone's like looking out at these dinosaurs marching by and they're like (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's pretty powerful stuff pretty powerful stuff jack i want to introduce a segment please we are 120 episodes in Mm mm-hmm we have not found a graceful way to introduce this segment yet, and today is not the day that we do. Okay. Track and Jackie. Track and Jackie. We have to go back, Kate. Track and Jackie. We have to go back. We have to go back. We have to go back. Jack. Yeah. This week, Jackie Radowski. The walking nation, disaster. Don't know who back Jackie Radowski is. He's the walking disaster. He is prone to accidents. And what Jack and I have figured out is that every time he has an accident, he is actually blipping, it's a technical Mm -hmm. term, through time, living out an entire lifetime as another individual in an alternate universe whose life is informed by the accident that Jackie Rudowski is having back in Stony Brook and then blipping back to his life as a mild-mannered boy in Stony Brook, Connecticut. With a multitude of horrific and traumatic memories of all the lives and the loves and the deaths that he has experienced in a thousand, thousand different universes 
throughout time. This week, Jackie Radowski is helping prepare for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. He is at the Pike's house Mm -hmm. helping paint sandwich board signs for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And he has brought his dog, Bo, who he has tied to a tree with his shoelaces. Keep in mind, Baby Nation, that the Pikes have a dog as well called Pow. And those dogs cannot be allowed to be in the same space as each other. Otherwise, all hell breaks loose. Jack, yeah, I did a lot of due diligence this week. Okay. I did a deep dive. I wouldn't even say, you know what? I didn't do a deep dive. Mm-hmm. It was just within me. Or within Ellen Miles. Or within Ellen Miles. It was in within both of us. Yeah. I think I know where Jackie went this week. Okay. But I would love for you, Jack, to bring me in. To bring yep. me into this scene. You're letting me to read the Stony Brook side. This is a collaborative process. It's a collaborative enterprise. I'll read what happens in the Stony Brook side of this, and you will gift we'll us interject with the subtext that is implied by Anne and Ellen and the Scholastic Lawyers about the life that Jackie lived in a different universe and a different time. Yeah, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with where I go this week. Okay. Shall I read the passage that focuses on Jackie, Tanner? Please. Keep a close eye on Jackie, Christy whispered to Abby, who had returned from the house. Now that he's ready to paint, you can bet he'll find a way to make a mess. No problem, Abby whispered back. He's on his way to the bathroom. He won't be anywhere near the paint for a while. Christy nodded. Great. Did you remind him not to let Pow out? Abby gulped. Oops, she said. Blip. Jack. Guy Gardner. Green Lantern. To Space Sector 2814. Shouldn't have had any business on Quard. Let alone the antimatter universe. But after a run-in with a strange dog-like humanoid lantern called Nort, he needed to learn more about this creature that even the Guardians on Oa had no record of. It was on Cord where the unlikely duo clashed with the sinister Pogliacin Lantern Corps whose mission was to create and deliver counterfeit rings to the least capable and most buffoonish creatures in the multiverse. Would you like me to... Yeah, will you just continue now, please? The passage. Okay. Um, What an amazing coincidence, Tanner. Yeah, that's an amazing coincidence, and I would love for you to just keep reading. Okay. Just then, Pal came galumphing out of the back door, barking his head off. Bo jumped up instantly, breaking the shoelace leash and took off with Pal behind him. The dogs raced around the yard, taking turns chasing each other. Catch them! yelled Christy. Every last kid jumped up and began to run after the dogs. Oh no, Marianne groaned. Blip. Despite his nature and a complete lack of faith from Guy Gardner, the false lantern Nort... (laughs) proved himself in battle, felling the anti-Owen clown guardians, the Cordian weaponers, 
and the Thunderers with ease. Then, before anyone could stop him, Nort made the ultimate sacrifice. He flew to the source of Antione energy, the very force behind his fantastic power ring, and destroyed the idol. The Quardians, the False Lanterns, the Thunderers, they all instantly lost their powers and were crushed by the Green Lantern Corps. But for his heroism, Nort himself was stripped of his powers. Cover the paint, Christy called to Mel, who was still standing near the table, before the dogs <gasps> oh, moaned to everyone at once. Pal had just run headlong into the first table, spilling three jars of green paint all over Bo, who was behind him. Jackie had done it again. Blip. The Green Lantern Corps would not let Nort's selfless act go unrecognized. Acting as emissary, Guy Gardner took Nort to Oa personally (laughs) to meet with the Guardians. He pleaded with them to admit Nort into the Green Lantern Corps, the real Green Lantern Corps. And with bemused delight, they did. And that's how Nort, the imbecilic, dog-like humanoid from Newt, became the erstwhile companion to the precocious, red-haired Guy Gardner. And that's how Nort became a Green Lantern. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Wow. Tanner. Green ring. I didn't realize that the, the Green Lanterns had green rings. They all have green rings. Please don't tell my wife <laughs> that when I convinced her to combine our last names, <laughs> green and ringerood, into green ring. <laughs> you were actually not so subtly referencing the Green Lantern. My favorite universe. superhero. <laughs> Green Lantern. Well, and Tanner, what are the fucking odds that Alan Miles... Yeah, Alan's a huge Green Lantern fan, apparently. Well, except that you had to make up the absurd idea that there was a... You and Alan had to make up, should I say, the absurd idea that there's a a Green Lantern that's also a green dog, like the green dog... No, there is a green... The Jack, Jack, Jack. Yeah. Rip from the headlines. (laughs) Okay. Of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. There is a Green Lantern who's also a green dog. What's his, his name? His name is Nort. <laughs> G apostrophe N-O-R-T. He's from the planet Newt. Oh. G apostrophe N-E-W-T. And he is an imbecilic dog-like creature who <laughs> ends up spending most of his days in the alley behind Guy Gardner's bar, Warriors. Guy Gardner is redheaded, much like... Jack Iredell. He's a redheaded. He's kind of the bad boy Green Lantern from the 80s and 90s. Wow. And clearly Jack Iredowski as well. Alan Miles. Hey, Baby Nation, everything I just said sounded dumb. No. But it's all literally canon from the Green Lantern <laughs> books. <laughs> so check out Green Lantern There's- if you're looking for like really fun storylines about dumb dog people. <laughs> they'll become superheroes my goodness they pack it all in don't they they pack it all in the gray eye we didn't even talk about the eye of sauron 
No, uh, maybe we should. And now the Green Lantern universe. Well, the Green Lantern universe has always been pretty tied into these books. Yeah, no, that's true. This is not the first time. I'm surprised there wasn't more Hellraiser stuff in this one. We just didn't catch it. Um, I have a thought. Okay. What if we get the fuck out of here? I just have one note I want to hit before we go. Okay. (sighs) I'm a little worried, Claudia. It's babies. You're. Oh, I said softly. (laughs) You want to take a nap? Sounds like an excellent idea. I close my eyes and lay there happily, feeling the soft, warm weight of Lynn and smelling her delicious baby (laughs) smell. Can I go back and just clarify what you said at the top of that? Did you say, I'm a little worried Claudia eats babies? Yeah. And my main worry there is that Claudia is is a professional babysitter, so it doesn't seem like she should be sitting... I listen. I have no problem with eating babies. Obviously. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. It's 2018. I'm very progressive. I'm very liberal. It's yeah, like, you don't yeah, want yuck any yums. Like, yeah, I'm not going to yuck any yums. Eat babies, fine. Yeah. But I just like what my worry is is like Claudia's a professional babysitter. Why are we putting babies mm-hmm. in front of this apparent baby eater? Yeah. Uh huh. She enjoys the delicious smell of babies. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I was going to call you on, because it sounded like you were saying you were a little worried that Claudia eats babies, and I feel like even a small amount of worry right. that she might eat babies should immediately elevate to a large worry. My worry is not that she's eating babies. My worry is that people are presenting her with babies. Well, maybe that's why Lynn disappears in the second act of this text. Uh, we just course. don't hear about her. Right. Claudia ate her. Ellen Miles came back from her fucking voyage, like, beyond the horizon, into the sunless lands. Yeah. And she brought back with her a dark passenger that was Mr. Nichols. Right. And, like, the book that she had been tinkering with before she left that was, like, about a St. Patrick's Day parade and how Claudia has to look after Lynn and hijinks ensue turned into this other fucking thing. Yeah. And Ellen Miles with, like, her eyes are just, like, pure black. (laughs) And she's like, well, how do I tie up this loose end now? Well, the baby was eaten, but I I won't remark upon it. I will very subtly remark upon it. (laughs) If anyone's looking for the clues, they will figure out who ate the baby. (laughs) I was paying attention, Ellen. Well, Ellen did another thing this week that I feel like you need to ask the Leviathan about. Okay. I'm terrified to go into his chamber. Yeah, baby bees, we're not going to tell you why you're bees, but we're also not going to tell you who the Leviathan is. I'll tell you. He's the lore master. He's the lore master. It's, it's he, not even fair to say he. It. It, it is the yeah. lore master. Yeah. If you want to change some shit in the Babysitter's Club, yeah, you need to go and ask the Leviathan. Right. Uh, you fucking sneak into that fucking it's a basement. Very few people have come back from that. But the, the upside is you get one of those cool fucking black marbles that are worth a lot. A lot of money. The wedding band I got for Jamie actually has a little bit of a, just a sliver of the black marble from the It Leviathan. has a piece of a Leviathan marble? Yeah. That's the most beautiful gift you can give to yeah. anyone. It's a gold band. It's got a little black Leviathan. It must be so heavy. I imagine she can't raise her hand that has the wedding ring on it. Because just like yeah, even no, a it's... sliver is probably like 30 or 40 pounds, right? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's not It's not the weight. It's just like the emotional weight. Oh, my God. More. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're worth a lot. Yeah. Oh, well, I paid a lot for it. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Can I read you this passage? 
Yeah. What was it, Andrew? Asked Christy. I said I wanted us to have a marching band with big hats, he said. Everyone cracked up. I know what he means, Christy said. We went to the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City once, and Andrew loved those guys in the big, tall, furry hats. They play bagpipes. We could do that, cried Margot. Chrissy rolled her eyes. She hates bagpipes. I feel like that's the first we're hearing this, Tanner. Christy hates bagpipes? Christy hates bagpipes. No, this is not the first time I'm hearing this. <laughs> Wait, really? This is lore. This is this is established <laughs> lore in these books. I cannot, I'm not, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of these books that you do, so I cannot <laughs> immediately pull the book to mine. But this is not the first time Christy has had a negative run-in with bagpipes. Oh. And Baby Nation, if you're out there and you know... Wow. And it's not even the first time we've discussed it on the show. Really? Yeah. I just assumed that Ellen Miles, like, on her travels, stopped by Scotland to, like, refuel her ship <laughs> and was like, fuck this. There's, like, a funeral in whatever coaster town she's in, and she's like, what is that sound? <laughs> it has pierced my serenity. And her dark crew is like, <laughs> we'll get them to stop, madame. Well, we're going to leave that on a cliffhanger. Has it been determined in the past that Christy hates bagpipes, Baby Nation? Or did Ellen Miles have to get a black marble from the Leviathan to create new lore? I mean, she did originally when she established it. Yeah, this I guess is so. not the first time this has come up. Tanner, I was thinking we should get the fuck out of here. Mm. Tanner, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome, Jack. Baby Nation, thank Baby you. Nation. Okay. Thank you for joining us tonight. Great. You just wanted to j- jump in and do my thing? Well, I was going to do it. Okay, go for it. It's all you. I just did, but okay. now now it's your turn again. I'm I'm kicking the ball back to you. Baby Nation, please buy our merch. Bit.ly slash BSCC merch. Baby Nation, Jack. Yep. The, the I, comma, M, Jack Shepard pin is currently outselling the <laughs> And I'm Tanner Green Ring pin by one pin, oh. Baby Nation, which is outrageous, and I hate it so much. So please, please keep buying those I, Jack Shepard pins if you support parallel construction. And while you're at it, grab yourself a Bread Theory or a B Theory t-shirt. They're beautiful, and they were designed by Baby B John at Vox the Devil on Twitter, who is an amazing designer, and we're very thankful for his work. Baby Nation, please, if you haven't yet, please do take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us to rise in the rankings, and it helps other people to notice our show. And it is a small act of mercy that you can do for us that actually genuinely has a real effect in terms of getting our show in front of more people. Yes, and please do recommend our show to a friend if you are so inclined. Tell them to start at episode one, probably. Probably. Frankly. Um, or just tell them what your favorite episode is. Or fucking trap them in your car and just put it on, and uh, hopefully they'll like it. Baby Nation. Pause the episode every 20 minutes and be like, okay, so let me explain. Okay, here's the thing. The <laughs> so, Leviathan is actually. <laughs> yeah. Baby Nation, this week we read a book that was called Claudia and the Terrible Truth. Next week, we're reading a book called Christy Thomas, Dog Trainer. <laughs> <laughs> They know what that sounds like? Oh, good, clean. G C D S F. 
Yes, Tanner, good clean dog sitting fun. We've been waiting for this for a long time. I cannot fucking wait. I guarantee it's going to be you- welcome relief after this. Yeah. Very special. Without episode. looking, I can guarantee you that it was written by Nola Thacker. And I can't fucking <laughs> wait. God, I hope so. They always bring in someone after a very special episode to be like, all right, we're going to have Chrissy, have Chrissy Thomas and like the, the thing is that she's like looking after some unruly dogs. Well, let's get a little weird on this let's one. Let's get a guys. little weird. Baby Nation, this week I have been Jack Alexander Shepard. And I'm Tanner Greenring. And have been this week. Baby Nation, round off the corners in your bedroom, drown all your dolls, call your senator, and demand your right to bear time, and do not forget to let Daddy love you as much as I do. Baby Nation, remember the Delaney's. Remember Ben Obot. And take your dream horse through that maze. Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you would think that boys had just, just been invented. invented. What if we did that together? It sounds good. good. I love it. Nate Nichols is a cool name. I like the alliteration. Nate Nichols. Sounds like a Green Lantern character. <laughs> I should not have brought that up. I'll be right back. <laughs> this is not a Green Lantern podcast. That was a HeadGum podcast. <laughs>